You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. I am your host, Matthew Rushing, and... I'm really excited about tonight. We are going to wrap up the uh, Jurassic Park series with uh, Jurassic World. So I, I hope you've got something special, uh, maybe some margaritas um, or something like that. And Hey, Jimmy Buffett enjoyed margaritas in this film, so that's fantastic. <laughs> that was actually him in the movie, if you didn't catch that. So, um, And I'm, I'm really excited for what we've got uh, coming up. I think we got a great discussion, and... I also love when we have somebody new here on the 602, and Megan was going to be with us, but she has unfortunately been sick from Educating Geeks, and she nominated, she tapped in her friend Drea from Educating Geeks to come enjoy us. So, Drea, welcome to the 602 Club. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad that you can be here. I I hope you'll uh, enjoy your stay here, Um, Ruby does a pretty good job of treating everyone well so just make sure she brings over whatever you want sounds good and daniel welcome back at the 602 how's it going man it's going great so you know i i have i don't have any margaritas but i haven't been eaten by any t-rex shaped pterodactyls yet so i guess i'm doing all right awesome well yeah, and i'm glad right. yeah 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 um i'm glad you didn't take one home i was kind of worried <laughs> that you were gonna bring one home but those those are not yeah those are not family friendly well, before we get started, I just wanted to do something that we haven't really done before, but I did want to thank all the, the Patreon members who make this show possible. I really appreciate you guys. Without y'all, um, we can't do this. So just remember that um, if you need any details, go to patreon.com trekfm and you can see how you can support the 602 Club and the rest of the network coming to you each week. Well, guys, Jurassic World... Um, you know, going through this series as we have, uh, having to watch two and three and uh, the unfortunateness that would happen in both of those films, I went into Jurassic World with n- really no expectations. I was like, I I don't even know what to expect because the last two films have kind of dashed all hopes that somebody might make something good out of, you know, this, this series and... And so I'm just kind of wondering for you guys, your first impressions of the movie. You know, you walk out of the movie theater. What did you think, Drea? Um, I think when I walked out, I, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was fun. I thought it, you have to suspend your belief on things a little bit. Uh, the storyline maybe wasn't the most unpredictable. Um, but, it, you know, I had a good time. I love the original Jurassic Park. So um, I went in hopeful, but optimistically cautious. So I left. I left thinking it was gonna. It was gonna be good. It's definitely something I would watch again. Um, but I don't think I was like, oh my god, that was so amazing. I want to go see that another dozen times. So kind of somewhere in the middle. I mean, this isn't Star Wars Episode Two. I mean, come on, you're not gonna. You maybe see this maybe once or twice. You know, again, but yeah, not. I, I mean, I saw episode two six times in one day. I'm, I'm not crazy or anything. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, what about you? What did you think, kind of walking out of the theater? Uh, I guess then maybe we, we represent a whole spectrum here because um, 
I would say that I left the theater shaking my head or rolling my eyes, but they had already dropped out of my head at that point, and I could no longer do it. I was, I, I don't hate this film, um, but like you guys both mentioned, sus- suspension of disbelief, man. If you don't jump on board with this film pretty early on, uh, you 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 might not have such a great, amazing time with it. Uh, towards the end, I was just like, this is sillier than maybe it needs to be. Uh, again, like I said, it's not terrible. I would actually place it above the other two sequels, but that's not saying much. So, Well, you know, I came out of the movie the, the first time, and I, I, re- I liked it, you know. Um, but it was one of those things where... You ever you know you come out of a movie of a sequel to a film you know twenty some odd years ago Jurassic Park and I'm I'm just I'm not quite sure what to think so I ended up actually seeing it again on Sunday and I'm really glad that I did because I think it helped solidify that I actually really like this movie like I I really enjoyed the film I think it's um it's actually a pretty good movie uh, especially when I consider that. This is a hard thing to do to go back and make a sequel like this and and make it feel anything um, worth watching or or make it feel any kind of legitimacy, you know, um, and not just feel like this is the world's worst money grab I've ever seen, you know, because that's what I tend to think of when you're bringing back a series like Jurassic Park. You either need to make it really good, which Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 are not, and so that didn't leave me thinking, oh, this one's going to be awesome. The fact that I really liked it uh, b- on the second viewing and came out of it even more impressed than I was the first time was kind of shocking because I didn't really expect that at all. So where did it lose you, Daniel? Like, that's what I'm kind of wondering because, I mean, Jurassic Park in general takes a lot of suspension of disbelief. And I even remember in the first movie, there's there's... I mean, even the end of Jurassic Park, the original, when the T-Rex comes in and saves them and nobody's heard him walk in. I mean, come on. It, it, it's it's really a cheesy ending, but, you know, at that point, it doesn't matter. I, I'm just kind of wondering where this one lost you. I'm actually really glad you asked that question. Um, and you, you are right. There are elements of Jurassic Park that, that do have that same kind of thing, um, but I think that film earns it. Um, it, it builds enough... Cr- credibility throughout the the course of the movie uh that you're that it's not like that that one you know plot hole isn't such a big deal um because the payoff is is worth it um specifically where this movie lost me so we get introduced to this new this new dinosaur and um now it can hide from thermal imaging and which okay uh seems a bit far-fetched but you're stretching me but i can i'll follow it then it knows, it's smart enough to know that it needs to remove its tracking device once it's left its compound. Again, that's kind of really convenient, uh, but I'll go with it. Whatever, that's fine. There are two moments where the film totally breaks for me, and the first was when they get to the old compound, and um, they pick up the, the banner, you know, at the end of Jurassic Park that we see fall, and they use it as a torch, which I thought that was silly, but... But of course, the Indominus Rex has to have the same heroic roaring pose in the middle of that compound that the T-Rex had uh, at the end of Jurassic Park. And I was like, okay, this is a little heavy-handed. And But really, really, uh, what broke it for me was the conversation between the Indominus Rex and the raptors. 
and like this is now all I can imagine is like it, they should come out with on the Blu-ray. They should put subtitles because this is what happens. <laughs> The, the raptors run up to the Indominus Rex and they're like, rawr, 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 rawr. and like the big, the big guy's like, roar, 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 roar. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm expecting it to be like, we've come here to eat you and to stop you. And then the Indominus Rex is like, I'm part raptor. Now you should listen to me and disobey the person that has been training you all your lives. And I, I, that scene just, and then there are, there are military guys like not shooting rockets at the big dinosaur they've been trying to kill the whole movie. And I just, I, oh, that's when it really lost me. Was when like the dinosaurs were literally talking to each other, and I'm like, okay, that's it. I get he's smart. I get it. He's not. He's been isolated. First of all, we've already told he's uh, uh, he's a sociopath dinosaur, so he probably wouldn't be very good at communicating, anyways. But now he can convince this entire raptor pack to kill everybody. You know that they have been friend, quote unquote, friendly towards uh, up to this point in the film. So wait, you really then must have hated three because the raptors do so much <laughs> talking to each other that you really need subtitles. Because I, I felt like, I felt like that scene in this movie works really well because we've we've seen raptors communicate with each other even in the first movie. They're kind of bickering back and forth as they enter the, um, the the kitchen, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I this one didn't really bother me at all that well scene. Right, right. raptors actually... communicating with each other makes sense to me that's like dogs and cats like they all right. have this un, you know this 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 unspoken communication between themselves um this new brand new dinosaur that was created just uh, apparently just a soup of different creatures dnas apparently uh can now right. command these raptors like instantly I, I that was what was like and th- th- like i said it was the fact that there was a back and forth like a like a an auditory, a physical back and forth between these dinosaurs that was like, they're talking to each other. This is like, this is ridiculous. This is absurd. Why would they, li- I, I, whatever. I, it, that's where it broke it for me anyways. Okay. I mean, I, I yeah, I don't understand w- really what the issue is because we already know the movie is already set up that we don't know what Indominus Rex is. Like that it's a closely guarded secret what that dinosaur is made of and we keep learning these horrible things that they've put into this dinosaur because apparently you know henry Wu has gone a little bit insane um and drunk on god power (laughs) so he's created like the ultimate killing machine and has no qualms about it at all um yeah i just i thought it all worked well that the movie had had really set up that moment so that when you know chris pratt's like that thing's part raptor, so you understand why they're actually having this conversation. Again, it, it's like the movie is earning all that to me. It's making complete sense why that's happening. It, it doesn't seem silly like three where the raptors really do feel like they are legitimately talking to one another and then Grant can just kind of blow on you know that stupid uh, 3D printed raptor skull thing and like call them away. You know, like that just... It was ridiculous, but this, it just felt more, I guess, animalistic. You know, it felt more realistic to animal behavior and what we know from the raptors, at least from the first two movies, a little bit discounting, like, the third movie. But, but, but like, know. imagine it, it if, works if, for me. If, if, 
and I'm going to call him Plotosaurus Rex because he, he only gets the superpowers that he needs in this movie to actually accomplish what he accomplishes. But imagine if he came across a group of cuttlefish. Now, we're told he's just as much cuttlefish as he's raptor, right? I mean, this is just a bunch of stuff that they've put into this dinosaur. If he started talking to cuttlefish, you would think that was ridiculous. It's absurd to think that this creature would... May, okay, okay, so what, is he like 15% raptor? If he's Even if he's 50% raptor, something's got to get lost in translation there. Like, why would he be able to control these raptors? Even, like, I get it. It was set up as a payoff to uh, to this, like, and a, and a plot twist. And it just, to me, it was so ineffective. I, I just, that was when I rolled my eyes the hardest and, like, this is, this is silly. Like, I actually was, I was willing to, <laughs> I was willing to forgive GoPros strapped to raptor faces and, you know, riding through a jungle, <laughs> and riding through a jungle on a motorcycle behind raptors. Um, I was willing to forgive all that. Uh, but once they started talking, that that was just, I guess, the, you know, it's the camel that, that broke the, uh, the Indominus Rex's back, as it were, I suppose. What did you think, Drea? Um, that didn't really bother me, I guess. Uh, I think some of the more human elements of the plot bothered me more. Like when they were on the Sky Tram, because I can't think of a better word for it, or the monorail or whatever they called it. And he was like, mom and dad are getting divorced. Like all of that was totally unnecessary. I don't care. I don't need to know. I'm sure it's going to tie into the other two sequels they want to do. But for me, I was like, big whoop show me more dinosaurs like i just don't care so i didn't mind the raptors talking to each other because how else would i have gotten the reveal that the dinosaur was part raptor unless you know it was super obvious anyway but at least i don't know yeah those little arms (laughs) um yeah i guess i didn't mind the conversation may have gone on a little long like after the first kind of like verbal acknowledgement you kind of could have been like oh shit (laughs) Um, but you know, that part didn't bother me, but some of the other more human sided elements were kind of bothersome. One of the things that I like, I do like about this movie and it is one of the things that when we talked about the original Jurassic Park movie, there's a lot of, of, of great themes that come from that film especially at that time period and what Michael Crichton was writing at um, about science and, and all of those things. And what I, I really enjoyed about this movie is how they take some of those themes, but then they contemporize them for where we are now. And I was listening to the director in an interview and he was just talking about one of the things um, that was, I thought was really interesting is just, you know, Claire has that great rhyme no one is impressed with dinosaurs anymore you know and i thought it was a an interesting and great line because i just rem- and the director was talking in this interview he's saying we get bored of stuff as humans you know it's around too long we just we just start to think of it as wallpaper and i thought that was oh, so interesting because i mean it happens from the mo- you know when we're kids we get that thing we really want for christmas and then like 3 months later we never play with it you know um, and then we just totally, there's a complete lack of awe in things as human beings as we just kind of spend more time with them. And I just really thought that's an interesting place to be, especially when you're talking to geeks, because we love to love things 
and then three years later hate them. You know, like that's what we're really good at at these days, especially with our kind of like cynical nature. And I felt like this movie for one theme was taking something really big that's happening in culture all over the place from from geekdom to politics to tons of other places where we just we get bored of things and then we critique it and then we just dismiss it, you know, and I personally just one of the things really jumped on me. I really, really liked, you know, and it was a funny way of saying it nobody's impressed with the dinosaur anymore you know but in 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 some ways they're that's the audience you know like jurassic park was over 20 years ago we're not impressed with cgi dinosaurs anymore you know but that goes on to so many other things i just really really like that well that was interesting because as i'm watching the movie all the all the themes that are coming up um so you had definitely had more themes in jurassic world than you had in like jurassic park jurassic park they very 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 much so focused on the do you have the right to play god and uh you know you can't control everything um so they definitely kind of brought in more themes and covered more topics this time around and as i'm watching and they're talking about things like you know we're not impressed by dinosaurs anymore so let's put two dinosaurs against each other instead like they're literally creating the same themes with the movie as they are in the movie. So I was like, that's kind of interesting that the things they're theming, they're also doing themselves. So it's a, I didn't, I don't know. It's hard to determine whether it's a little hypocritical or if like they know what they were doing and they don't care because they know that's what works. So it was, it it was really interesting to see some of those themes literally playing out in front of your eyes and like how many people are going to notice this? Well, and the director said that in the interview, I thought it was really interesting. He's like, how do we surprise people? you know, as filmmakers these days is so hard to do, especially when you're doing a movie like this where you've had three of them already. And so it is very difficult to surprise people or, or you know. Um, so, yeah, you, you had the two dinosaurs go at it this movie, and the same thing happened in three, but at least I cared about the dinosaurs going at each other in this movie. Like Whereas in three, I was just like, I don't care about tyrannosaurus rex and spinosaurus fighting this is boring but you know whereas this fight i was like okay i'm invested in this fight you, you wait, know wait, because there's uh, human beings involved like but you know, hang like, on hang on hang on you wait you can't see like waving arms like hold on hold on <laughs> wait a second this is i guess a good time to talk about you cared about that final fight when oh, when yeah. the t-rex yeah. just shows up he just well he shows up because well now we need something to kill this thing so why not have the t-rex show up and then like just attack him like like i that was that's not an investment like we i mean i guess if you wanted to yeah you're right that the the humans were there um but the 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 t-rex versus i know you said you don't care in Jurassic Park 3 that we get the spinosaurus versus the t-rex battle but we we have seen this fight before. We've seen it in Jurassic Park 3. We've seen it in King Kong. We've seen this fight a thousand times before in a T-Rex versus another something battle. And we've... The, it, 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 you say you're invested in this movie at that, at, at that specific scene, anyways. Um, why? Because the T-Rex only shows up for the last five minutes of this film. Why would you even root for the T-Rex uh, over anything else at that point? Well, I, I mean... I... Well, the T Rex does I'm, show up before that scene. Yes, they go to yeah, the T Rex. Well, so the so we yeah. get to see the top but of his he head. There. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, and 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 that scene does a great job of setting up that we know where the T Rex is in conjunction of right of yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. spatial, not you know, um, reference of the park. Yeah. So, um, well, I'm I'm 
I'm invested in the scene at that point because it's it's where I think Claire has her coolest moment. You know, she's like comes out and is like, you know, she puts herself on the line. Like it's not Chris Pratt's character going in and releasing the T Rex. It's her. You know, like she's the one being the complete badass at that point, saving everyone. You know, the the kids earlier are like, we want to stay with him. You know, definitely him. But it's her that saves the day by, you know, releasing the not the Kraken, but the T Rex. <laughs> that would have uh, been awesome if the Kraken was yeah, in there. So cool. and, and so and I love that scene because um I in I enjoyed the battle between those dinosaurs. And then of course I love them I, I personally thought it was great when the Mosasaurus eats the, the you know, um the Indominus Rex. I just thought it was great. I, I That's where I wanted it to end, and it ended there, and I thought it was awesome. And the second time, I enjoyed it even more. Um, but the other thing about that I really liked there, too, was that it was about respect at the end. You know, Chris Pratt had had that conversation. You know, his uh, character Owen has had that conversation with Claire about the difference between, you know, the animals being a commodity and a thing on a spreadsheet and and um them being something that's living and breathing and deserves respect and in the end what saves the human beings is the respect that he's earned with the velociraptors um that you know they they come back to his side because he's earned that respect and um yeah i just i liked that there were a lot of like things throughout the movie that were kind of slowly paying off and I, yeah, for me it just worked. You know, I mean, I understand if it doesn't work for other people, but I I thought it was was really cool. Um, and that's just the like twelve year old in me too, just having a great time at that point. Um, and again, I'm more connected with what's happening and been happening in this film than I ever was in three. I don't care anything about three. I don't care about anything about those characters whatsoever except for grant and they almost lose me there with him but this movie did a good enough job of having me i i enjoy chris pratt's character owen i've i've I've, i personally think that claire's storyline is really interesting um because i i think that 20 years ago it would have been a guy in her position but now we put a woman in that position and she's the one learning these lessons instead of a guy in fact I think she's the Hammond character. She's the Hammond slash lawyer character in this movie. And Chris Pratt is the Grant Malcolm character. And I love that she's the one getting to learn the lessons. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, it's an old man learning the lesson. Now it's this woman learning the lesson. I, it's, I like that. I think it's a really cool thing because it showed it showed to me just how far we come. And there's been a lot made of her character and how it's dealt with but to me it was really well done and I think I personally see it as being something people should be excited about and not derogatory towards uh so I yeah all that's what for me is working in that scene like I just really think that it it came together for me so and yeah I really appreciate that to be fair I mean you say it wouldn't have happened 20 years ago except uh, Sadler, um, Dr. Sadler in the original Jurassic Park is like way more badass than this character ever is. And like you, you're saying that she plays the Hammond role 
in this movie, but Sadler is the one teaching Hammond that lesson. Like, she's the one that that movie is kind of, not centered around, but but she is, uh, you know, awesome in that film. Like, 20 years ago, this did happen. And 20 years ago, she played this super awesome paleontologist, awesome person who did awesome things and, and tried to bring everything right. together. But so I don't actually have a huge problem with the Claire problem uh, with the Claire character, uh, other than of course, and I guess we should maybe address this since we're kind of dancing around it. The the running away from a T Rex in high heels, Freaking high heels. <laughs> yeah. Like I, you say, you say that, that that you say the final scene is about respect. I lose respect for a T Rex that cannot eat a woman that's running away from her in high heels. I I lose respect for that character. So. That's from everything that I've I've done tons of reading on this, um, and you know that's Bryce Dallas Howard's decision. She wanted to do that, and she made the decision that the that the character wouldn't get out of these heels, which to me said this character has changed some. Like she has learned some things, but there are some things about her that are not going to change. Like she's she's not going to quit being a strong confident woman but she's also going to learn that there's some things that she may have missed recently in life and she may have put some less important things in front of really important things like actual people you know and and so I I just really to me again I can completely understand what she Bryce Dallas Howard was going for at that point and why she makes that decision. So the interesting thing is listening to that and reading about it. Um, you've got some very, you've got people on both ends of the spectrum who see absolutely nothing wrong with how she was portrayed in this movie. And people who are just up in arms, yelling and screaming, waving pitchforks and torches. Um, and honestly, the ideas of creating a good, strong feminine character are there and they're not, they're not well portrayed. They're not well supported. Like, of course, yeah, it's a woman in a place of power. But first of all, you're make you literally have her set up to choose between career and family. Like, she's made a choice that she can't have both, and she gets harassed by her sister as to not choosing family. Not saying that she couldn't have both. Not talking to her about there's no you know you can do this. It was literally you you made the wrong choice and you should have had a family instead. That's more important. Um, so it was almost like a guilt trip to have kids versus have a career, which is not what I think they meant to do, but that's how it came across. Um, the other thing is um, she you put her in a place of authority and yet nobody seems to respect her authority. So you have her giving commands, you have her in this place where she's supposed to be in charge, and yet Hoskins comes in and overthrows her. Masrani constantly undermines her. Um, and yeah, they, she definitely, definitely need to be reminded of things like, you know, dinosaurs are living creatures, whether they were extinct or not, whether you've created them, they're they're alive, they're real, they breathe, they have you know, feelings just as if a dog or a cat did. Um, but she's, con- you know, Owen tries to undermine her using sexuality. Um, you know, it was just, it wasn't, it was like a good attempt, but they didn't quite get there. Um, so her needing to maintain her femininity, as she said, by running in her heels, it, it, she was already in a dress or in a skirt. It was white, <laughs> like totally unnecessary. Um, 
you know, she there was no part of her that if she had lost, ditched those heels and kicked him off and just ran barefoot, that me I would have been like, oh my gosh, she lost her femininity. Like she was still a woman to me, and having heels does isn't what defines her femininity. So I think it was a good attempt at a good idea, but it didn't quite get there, and that's probably what makes people so angry. Um, you have to think of the intention behind things. And I think that they had good intentions. So I'm not going to sit here and like raise my pitchfork and rah, 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 rah. But I I definitely could have seen less of the, um, you know, if you're going to go the career versus family route, go there or don't go there. It was another thing like thrown in there along with the whole family divorce thing. Like either totally use it or just don't even address it. Like leave it alone and it would have been fine. Well, and see, that's what I I kind of liked about the movie is that it was realistic in that sense. Like, that's conversation that I'm sure plenty of sisters have. One might choose career, one might choose family, and and they both think that they're right, you know? Like, to me, it wasn't like the movie saying that, that Claire is wrong in that sense of not wanting to have kids and her sister is right. It was just a conversation to me that I think plays out all over America and all over the world for, for different families where one sister chooses one thing and the other sister chooses the other thing. And they both kind of think they're right in the end. And like, I never get the, the, the thought in this movie that by the end, Claire is, it's been domesticated, like that. She's just going to stop being a high powered executive and going to go and like, just start a family. No, I just feel like what she has learned is that, there are some things in life that are more important than the bottom line. And this is what I really like about her character is that one of the main themes of the film is corporate greed at all costs, which is we will do just about anything if there is a ton of money to be had. So yeah, we're going to go and create dinosaurs again, even though the last time we did, it didn't end so well, but we're going to think we can control it this time. Like, and in the end, Claire is is the embodiment of that, that we have decided to put ourselves in control of something that we can't control and that what we care about is the bottom line. And that's Claire is a corporate person. That's what she represents in the entire film. And so I like that, again, it's it's her, the female, being the 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 one that's in charge and she's the one that's embodying that whole idea. Whereas I don't think that that would, that didn't happen, Daniel, 20 years ago. Sattler is a totally different type of character. That's why I'm saying her being the more Hammond type person in this role, I think means a lot. We've come pretty far that we're, it's not perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying the fact that this woman is in that position and she's going to be the one to learn the lesson, basically, that Hammond did, which is maybe I should be careful what I'm trying to control. And maybe there are some things more important than wowing the world and money. I think that's great. And I think those are the lessons that she learns. You know, um, it's not that I need to go have a family. It's that people and animals should be shown respect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're not commodities and just people for me to like push around and like tell what to do. 
But I don't think in your, I mean, if you're, if I agreed with your assessment, I would agree with your theory. But the problem is with Hoskins playing a role in this as well and coming in with Injun, like, I don't think she is the face of, cor- uh, I don't think she is the embodiment of corporations. I think she's the face. She's the person they put out there because she's, uh, um, calm and um appealing but honestly again she had when all of those decisions happened she was nowhere to be found she had no say in them and when she came back in she took a back seat and just let it ride and so in that case to me you had this sort of I don't know, like existential wants to do this for the greater good because, you know, Hammond believed that this should be available to everyone. Masrani, you've got Owen, who's kind of this, this logic respect down to earth kind of person. And then you've got Injun, this kind of like money greedy corporation that wants to make billions of dollars weaponizing this development. And then you've got her. So she doesn't really have an allegiance to any of those, those individuals. So she kind of is this face that sort of does this and sort of doesn't do this. And it just wasn't strong and didn't give me a definitive, this is who she is. I got that, she, you know, I got her personality. I got what they were trying to portray there, but I didn't get her great role in the greater picture. So to me, Engine was this corporation behind everything and the, the big baddies and the evil people. So, and she wasn't like them. She didn't agree with them. So she's not that. So that's, I guess, maybe there was just too many dichotomies going on at the same time that I was just like, all right, you've lost me. There's one too many hands in this pot, one too many different perspectives that, and maybe that's very real, but in the movies, I need it to be a little more defined. And I will agree with you with that because even seeing it twice, trying to figure out, I, I, I get the fact that Masrani's company is over Jurassic World somehow they're linked with engine which i don't completely get exactly how all that works and, and that is one thing where the movie i think does fail in the logic of just kind of explaining where all the companies are aligned but i do get the fact that masrani is the head of of his company and his corporation he's the owner of jurassic world and he's the one who has placed you know claire in charge of the park um because obviously and we can tell she's excellent at doing what she does you know um getting corporations to sponsor them i mean hell they got um verizon to say yes to <laughs> sponsoring the indominus rex you know uh which was just another great funny throw-in theme there of <laughs> selling out to other corporations um and you know, a, a quick note on that what's interesting about this film and i was gonna i was gonna mention it before when you talked about you know, the this theme of you know People, people aren't interested in dinosaurs anymore. They need something special. Like sometimes this film is too is too meta for itself. And this is another time when like they make fun of of corporate sponsorship, and yet there is there is sponsorship plastered everywhere in this film. Like we see, you know, like like we already mentioned Margaritaville. We, you know, we see. Uh, I can't even remember now off the top of my head, but Pandora, all, Pandora, the jewelry yeah. company, yeah, yep. Samsung, yeah. All of, like we see all of these little. I mean, which I mean actually doesn't detract from the film. It actually makes sense because you're in a you're in a theme park that you would make sense that you would see these things. But it's so funny that this film is calling attention to it. It's calling it out and being like. 
oh yeah, corporate sponsorship is nonsense and and is corruption, and you shouldn't use these things. But then it is like then the film itself uses those things, and it's like you're undercutting your own message here. Uh, I'm sure they definitely had enough money to make this film without the Verizon Indominus Rex. I don't really understand what they were trying to say with that. It, it well, doesn't make any I, I sense. I think I can explain that. I think what uh, – I don't think that they're – obviously all movies have certain technologies and things we just kind of gotten used to them. Uh, in there uh, as all the way from bond having a rolex for a while and then having an omega watch and you know all those kind of things it, it's been in movies for a very long time but there i thought i i it didn't it didn't seem like it was going over meta to me it was just like okay you have the samsung experience thing there because that's already a part of the park that they've sold out you know it's like it, it, so when she is having verizon come in and she's trying to win them over to, to sponsor this new attraction, the Indominus Rex. I really like that because it was like, okay, you can already see how this has been happening in the park. It wasn't like the movie being hypocritical. It was them using that in the film um, to work for their message. Like, And I thought that that was really funny. Um, and it, 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 it was a great way to make it all work to me and and kind of go with those themes and i i like it i you know um i don't know if it it i don't think it it wasn't too meta for me um you know i like my movies to make me think and so the fact that i've had a ton to think about with this movie even though it's a gigantic ginormous popcorn film (laughs) um to me that's a successful film you know uh if i spend a few days or weeks or whatever afterwards kind of like trying to digest and keep thinking of like oh they were i think about that scene they were they were saying this too you know like that's that's to me that's really nice um so in terms of the companies and that whole structure the idea that i got was um like masrani owns it right he owns probably 80 percent of it or some 75 percent of it and then it's regulated. He still reports to a board of directors. And I'm guessing NGen either is entirely composed of that board or has majority control of that board or something. And that's how they can push their way in. And with Hammond kind of being a part of NGen, and that was like the original development and all that, I sort of got that original movie backers, sponsors, investors sort of feeling from that relationship. Um, and NGen's never been a friend of anyone in any of these stories. No. So <laughs> that's actually interesting. It's like being no. Black Mace is friendly. So <laughs> that's actually interesting. I didn't get that same. What I, what I thought it was the, the relationship. And, and again, I guess, you know, all of our, our ideas are, are probably equal because it's not very well established in the film. But what I, what I kind of saw it as was Jurassic world, it's like, you know, if, if if Disney World contracted someone to create a bunch of rides for them, um, it, that's what it kind of felt like to me. Like, like Jurassic World, the organization or whatever name it goes under, um, uses InGen um, as the technology to, to kind of push their attractions. So InGen, I, I always thought was subordinate. So that's why, like, the scene where uh, Maserati and uh, Maserati... I'm saying, uh, what is his name? Is that it? 
Masrani. Uh, Masrani, yeah, thank Simon you. Masrani is a car. Uh, Masrani and uh, <laughs> Dr. Wu, where they have that conversation, felt in, uh, in uh, yeah disingenuous to me because I felt like it, they were holding back. Like you can't know what's in this. Uh, you can't know what's in this dinosaur. It's top secret classified. I, I would have been like. I always felt in that scene he should have been like. Um, no, we paid you. We, you're a contractor. We paid you this money to do this for us. You absolutely can tell me, uh, or I can stop paying your bills, and you can you work in a in a dark lab with no electricity. Like I, that's what always like felt a little weird to me. I, it always seemed like InGen was just um, the facilitator, I guess, of this technology. On that note. While we're talking about that scene with Henry Wu and uh, Masrani, there's just something about him. You authorized me to do this going, what idiot would authorize something that they had no <laughs> idea what was happening? Like, how, how stupid do you have to be? Like, ugh. that was, yeah, that was one of the things that, and again, that's a, that's a theme playing out throughout the movie is the idea of like unchecked scientific research and that you, you have kind of given them a blank check to just like create things even though you don't know specifically what's in there and I thought that was a it was a nice moment of growth for you know Henry Wu who we only saw very little of in the original Jurassic Park but what a great comeback for that character and the idea that you would have to be a little bit delusional to do what you're doing when you really are playing God at this point I mean what they've set up that these characters scientists can do with these animals is I mean it is godlike they are taking bits and pieces and creating completely new species you know uh, you know they're not creating out of nothing but they're mixing and matching like none other I mean and so you would have to be almost a little bit insane to be where he is and be doing what he's doing and, and it would be hard to not be a little drunk on power and I loved that scene because he is so not sad or 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 mad or anything he's proud of what he's been doing like he's just he says we're not being mad scientists but that is exactly what you are and nobody's telling you no until now the look on his face when he when he was like people died he's like that's unfortunate and you're just like oh yes. my god <laughs> yeah yeah exactly which i i think you know and that is one of the things that all of the Jurassic Park movies as well have had as a major theme especially 1 2 and now 4 3 not so much cuz it barely has anything worth talking about anyway but is that we are our own worst enemy like humanity we are our own worst enemy and, and i mean it gets even worse when you think that this time we kind of want to we want to weaponize dinosaurs like like it's just and it seems outrageous but at the same time i can totally see some crazy corporation thinking that this is a good idea you know like that's what's so sad is that we're at a point in our existence as humanity where wow i i don't know what we're capable of but i know we're capable of a lot and a lot of times it's just it's a really bad, terrible, no good idea. Well, and um, part of that alone, too, is part of them going back to the um, original movie because that was the whole. If you've ever read anything else or seen anything else that Michael Crichton's made, like that is yes. his overarching theme in every single one of his works is we are playing God and we are 
way out of our league and this is never going to end well for anybody. It's the theme in all of his books. So bringing that theme back in also kind of honors that original authorship mm-hmm. and that original theme that he kept going, which is kind of nice. It, it is nice. And just to, just as a quick aside, um, it is kind of interesting to contrast um, this, I guess you could say this entire series, uh, philosophy on science with Star Trek, which which is what we're, we're all familiar with, um, whereas science is looked at as uh, a potential disaster um, almost always in these in these kinds of films where it's like, this is terrible and you should never play with these things and it's awful and terrible and never, ever, ever. And then whereas, whereas uh, in Star Trek, uh, in a lot of ways, technology is looked at as kind of a, uh, a redemption or, or a way to kind of overcome um, these baser instincts. And, and so it's, it's just interesting to me to look at it from that kind of a perspective. Like, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I love Jurassic Park and, and even these themes that we see in this film. Uh, are very interesting to me, but uh, it 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 always kind of smells to me of a, a, a pessimistic way of looking at science, um, and uh, it, it, which you have to ask those questions. These are important questions to ask. We should we like uh, you know like we hear in the first film. Uh, you were so concerned about whether or not you could. Um, did you stop and think whether you should? That that is actually a really relevant and an important question to ask. But it's it. It is almost from a, like a pessimistic point of view. And I don't mm. know if it's so much a pessimistic view on science. I think it's a pessimistic, realistic view of where we are as humanity. And especially when we kind of see what science is used for. You know, one of the beautiful things about Star Trek, I think, that we all love is that humanity has found a way to move past the things that we're so obsessed with now, which is this movie is completely... Uh, ingrained in which is that that what's driving all of this is is not what's driving owen you know owen talks about how hammond and masrani wanted to humble us and make us feel our place and how small we are and how out of control we are really in the end that's that was their goal is it's to get us to acknowledge who we are and where we are and that, you know, these these kind of corporations running everything, they don't care where we are and who we are. They don't care if we should. They just will because it will make them tons of money, you know, and that that's the driving factor. And that's what I don't know if it will ever happen because I don't know if humanity will ever be able to overcome that base greed that we have. I mean, unfortunately, we are a much closer to Ferengi than we are to anyone in the Federation um, and and Starfleet. You know, that's just not what drives us. And we see it every single day, you know, from the top down. I think you're right, Daniel, but I, I, I do think it has less to do with science and it more to do with the people wielding the science and why they're doing it. So, yeah. And for me... Like, especially with Star Trek, we get the end result. I always feel like you got to have something like Jurassic Park or Jurassic World where shit hits the fan and everything goes wrong before you can start over again and reevaluate your priorities and say, okay, well, let's try this again and not try to make billions of dollars over it. And let's try to do it the right way um, to genuinely learn in order to, like, push to that Star Trek stage where, like, you get the, you know, the peaceful... Um, societies and the development of technology that way. And even the most recent Star Trek, they, I, mean, I don't know, 
how how we feel about that one. Um, they he weaponized he 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 turned you know the Enterprise into a weapon against. Uh, um, it's totally losing my mind now. The, um, <laughs> yeah. the Klingons, yeah. There you go, the Klingons, yeah. Uh, well, you no, know, actually, you know, he the tried to start war. It, I mean, he tried to start war. That's not yeah. a very Star Trek-y type Well, um, some of theme. us maybe don't think that that movie is very Star Trek-y, but that's okay. Um, it, no, but actually, you, <laughs> that's brought, why and I I think you, <laughs> you brought up a good point. Like, they're in the, in the official Star Trek canon, the, the Star Trek version of Jurassic Park is the eugenics war, right? Where it's yeah. not something we play around with anymore. We learned our lesson. We we got punched in the face. A lot of people died, and no, we don't touch that anymore. That, so it's you're 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 both right. Like there is that lesson, I guess, that humanity needs. To, at least this is what fiction is telling us. Humanity yeah. needs humanity needs to like have a bunch of it wiped out in order for us to learn this lesson. But uh, well, and that's one of the things that I love about the Owen character in this film uh, is that you know he's really mad when he learns that the research that he has been doing has been under false pretenses that they've actually been wanting to use this as some kind of weapon he thought they were just doing it to learn and understand the velociraptors better and what they he finds out is that oh no we want to take your velociraptors and turn them into weapons you know like and that's what pisses him off is he's there to learn you know he's there to understand these creatures better he's there to respect them you know not to try to control them you know even even with the the games that he plays with the raptors it's about learning their intelligence not trying to make them do what he wants them to do it's, it's about seeing just how smart they are just as we might um you know, with our family dog or, you know, there's people that live in, you know, um, places like Africa and stuff where they they live with these these wild predators. People, you know, train lions, you know, to and stuff like that. So I thought it was an, an, a nice touch to have his character there to kind of give us a that kind of grant side of the th- of the of things. You know, he's he's definitely the grant to the Malcolm of this film. And, um, you know, I, I thought he it, it was nice that, again, you have him and then you have, you know, Claire going back and forth and they're the the main themes of the original movie clashing again, um, but with with some some different themes as we've talked about kind of thrown in. And, yeah, I, I think that's really I think that's what makes this movie a great update to to the Jurassic Park milieu that we had, you know, twenty hundred years ago. I I kind of wanted to ask you guys because this is um this is a, something that especially with the Jurassic Park movie, you know, the original Jurassic Park and even the Lost World. I don't love the Lost World, but I do enjoy the music from it still. So they brought Michael Giacchino in here to do the music. And what did you guys think of of him working in some of the themes from obviously John Williams, but then creating some of his own things to, to make the score. What did you think? Was it good enough to kind of live next to John Williams? Or um, I noticed when they started playing the Jurassic Park theme, um, and every time they would cue into the Jurassic Park theme, other than that, white noise to me. I, uh, I, maybe I'm not the, the, the best person to talk to about this kind of thing, but I, I didn't notice or was impressed with, like, you know, Matthew, we were talking earlier, you had said that you watched Jaws for the first time recently, and 
that's a film where you're like the music is so integral or like like a lot of John Williams stuff like Star Wars like you can't see these films without or even the original Jurassic Park which is such a great example like you go you listen to that theme you hear that music and you get excited like the, when the the two boys first get on the, the on the park and they hear that and they go through the doors and, the, and that theme swells you're like oh this is great this is awesome uh other than honestly i don't think except for that moment when it was like it was building to it for the first couple of scenes and then that's when it happened i i didn't notice it i just i just it's i guess maybe maybe it's not as good i don't want to say it isn't or isn't because i didn't pay attention to it it's just uh wasn't as noticeable i guess is what i would say so i don't think it was nearly as impactful as the original soundtrack um but I think it still did its job well. You still got a little worked up when you wanted, when you needed to get worked up. Like it still kind of gave you that like creepy feeling. It's still the absence of music still gave you that oh shit, something's about to happen feeling. Um, but I don't think it necessarily. But at the same time, same thing. I don't think I noticed it stand out on its own. It's not a soundtrack. I think I'd go out of my way to buy and like throw on my iPod or anything like that. Um, but it did it did its job well enough that it wasn't it wasn't a deterrent in the movie either. For me, I'm a ridiculous soundtrack junkie, and so I bought this before the movie even came out, and in it, I've been listening to it like a week before. So I already was familiar with the music, which some people don't like to do that, but I really enjoy doing that, especially if I think I'm going to like the music, and and you know, it being Michael Giacchino. Um, I I do tend to enjoy his work. He also did Tomorrowland this year. He's done a, you know amazing work with things like Up and you know uh, star his Star Trek work uh, for whether you like the new Star Trek movies. The soundtracks for those are brilliant. Um, the themes in there are just fantastic. So I really liked his work here because um, there's the there is the main John Williams theme that plays as as they kind of come to the park, but then after that. There is this whole like five six minute segment where it's it's a new medley that's being played as uh, you know the, the younger son is is running around the the park and his his older brother's trying to keep keep up with him and I really liked that I also really enjoyed the cue where um, Claire and Owen are there at the Apatosaurus and it's dying. And the music playing there, I thought was really well done. It's 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 understated, but it's a nice theme. And um, there's some other nice work in there that I think he did to add to the Jurassic Park soundtrack, while at the same time doing a great job, just you know using Williams when he needed to. Um, so yeah, I, I liked it. I, I'm. It would be hard to live up to Jurassic Park, um, the original soundtrack. Uh, because it's one of, I think, William's pinnacles. But I think that Michael Giacchino definitely did the film proud. Any other things that were, um, and I, I kind of think of this more as the, the all the little Easter eggs, any other things that you you know really enjoyed or and just kind of had fun with with the movie or, or anything else, Daniel, that really stood out to you that you just hated? Uh, hey, <laughs> I, I don't want to be a pessimist. I really want to ride... A baby Triceratops. I think that would be a lot yes. of fun. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> that would be totally awesome. My wife, when when one of the 
pteranodons was picking it up, she was like, she literally goes, oh no. <laughs> like she was really worried for the little baby triceratops. And, and um, even in the interview with the director, he was like, I couldn't, I, I had to make it where he, he wasn't going to kill the baby because that was just too much. <laughs> Uh, you know, there there are little moments like that throughout the film that I really actually enjoy. I, I don't like I said in the beginning. I don't hate the film. Um, there there are some good things, and uh, like there the I mentioned that the the Indominus Rex in the Welcome Center of the original Jurassic Park was kind of like a really big turnoff to me in this film. That's the wrong way to do fan service. That is the wrong way to do. Um, to call back to the old film, but the right way to do it is um, when the Brontosaurus or Brachiosaurus, Brachiosaurus right, was dying, uh, right, and um, Chris Pratt's character runs up to it and and kind of, you know, tries to, it's it's dying here, and he tries to to soothe its way uh, into death, and 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 Claire's standing there as well, and. Um, it, it's it's very right into Dino Heaven. Yes, into Dino Heaven. It, it uh, all dinos go to heaven. I think is how it works. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope so because when I get to heaven, I want dinos. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's very reminiscent of the uh, sick Triceratops scene from the first yeah, film, yeah. and it's like it's reminiscent enough where it's like it reminds you of that of that scene. But it's also differentiated enough where it's like, well, okay, they're doing something different with this. And uh, it serves the plot. It's very important to that. To be like, oh, my God, this thing is just killing for fun because that's what it does. It's a sociopath. And that scene actually worked really well for me because Chris Pratt, like you've mentioned, Matthew, is the character that's going to care. He's like he's the one that pays attention to these creatures as creatures and allows, uh, you know, to have an emotional emotional attachment to them. Um, so, you know, there's lots of little bits like that. Um, uh, real quick, just off the top of my head. Oh, my goodness. If SeaWorld allowed you to, like, see the whales and then go down and then, like, look at them oh, under the awesome. water, that would be, oh, be awesome. Oh, be so awesome. Um, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of little little moments in this film, for sure, that you'll really enjoy. One real quick issue, though, that I wanted to bring up uh, in my notes I had. How many flying dinosaurs can you fit into a dome yay big? <laughs> because I feel like there were so many like so many flying creatures that came out of that and they all went in the same direction and are we going to deal with the fact that a bunch of the flying dinosaurs got away? Well, we haven't from 2 or 3. Right. So who knows what will happen with <laughs> 4. Um Yeah. So my, but you're we, right. I every movie. Yeah. Megan even said that. We saw this for my that. sister's birthday, and the first thing we did when we walked out, she goes, "So, what are they going to do about all the pterodactyls? <laughs> Still out there in the sky?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, just just let it go." Yeah, there's uh, to me there was just too many side characters. Let's nix the assistant. She was completely useless and. Played, oh, they did. Like, they had. Her <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why she was there to get eaten. Um, Owen's assistant, um, in the, with the raptor stuff. I loved him, but I didn't get enough of him, so I didn't want any of him. Uh. Maybe he'll come back in the sequel, though. 
Yeah, and I'm hoping that all of these things that for me right now are just busy and confusing are planned to be fleshed out in the future. Like that there's there's an ultimate goal here. Um, but I did enjoy um, watching the teenager interaction. Like I were sitting there, I'm like that 16 year old is gonna hate every moment of this, and just it it was spot on. Like that was a 16 year old on screen right there, and that made that was like that was pretty funny. Um, and I, and I really enjoyed what they did, like how they took the park, how we originally saw it, which was kind of simplistic and you just kind of drive through and just see them in their natural habitats and how it became this bigger thing. And they saw what you could do with these things and how you could see all these dinosaurs in their glory. Um, and all the good things technology could do for us, which is monitor them and r- raise and lower our stadium seating to see the underwater show. And, you know, all those really, really cool things that if we hadn't got too ambitious would have just made an amazing theme park. Um, and that to me, and I, I also freaked out a little bit when he picked up the Triceratops <laughs> and I was like, no, don't eat it. No. Okay. Okay. We're okay. Um, and just like, I got a little emotional when the, uh, Velociraptors turned on the, um, Indominus Rex and it started to like, kill them. And I was like, no, they're your only hope. So it got me in a few places, but, uh. I mean, then it was fun. I really, I had fun. That's that's all I expected to get from it, and it, it, it met my expectations. I had fun. Can Can I ask one quick question, Matthew? Before I think you're heading towards the end here. Um. So you know, we 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 all three of us, I think, and and most people in the world love Jurassic Park. We love it, and obviously, it's a tough act to follow. Obviously, Jurassic Park two, Jurassic Park three, huge disappointments. Um, regardless of how I feel about this film or how anybody feels about this film, this is a success. We now have to follow up Jurassic World. Um, are they? Do you, don't you guys think they're going to come up with the same problems when they try to follow this film up that they did when they tried to follow up the original <laughs> That's an Jurassic Park? Like, how how is it any better? Is this any better of a setup than the original one was? I think it sets up the idea. And I was listening to the interview with the one of the interviews with the director that I listened to today. I listened to two of them. And uh, he was talking about the idea of, of, you know, what kind of happens if this technology starts to be disseminated to other places just than, you know, like a, an island or something. You know, like we really start to have to worry about what people might do with this technology um, and if it got out, then more than just we're on a contained island, you know, what happens here stays here. You know, what happens at Jurassic World stays in Jurassic World, luckily. Um, and you can shoot the flying dinosaurs flying away. Um, so you, you can take care of the problem or you can just napalm it like they did the original Jurassic Park in the book. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting because my wife and I came out of the film and I was like, I really don't want a sequel to this. And then I found out that they're already planning one, obviously, because it made half a billion dollars in one weekend. So, of course, you make a sequel to that. You know, the director also said he doesn't even think he should be the one to direct the next one. He thinks maybe should they should do kind of what they're doing with the Star Wars anthology movies and let somebody else come in with a vision. And I think, you know, um, this movie had... They had a vision for what they wanted to do, and they executed it 
mostly well for me and and I think very well on a whole with what they were given. They actually took some fun things that they didn't actually use in the second movie, um, like the pterodactyl attack on the helicopter that was going to be the end of the second movie before Steven Spielberg had a mild crazy function and decided to bring it to the mainland. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great question, Daniel, where they go, but I don't know. Um, because there's a lot, uh, for me, the things that I really loved at work, I loved when they got back to the original park and they found it. And I was like, <gasps> you know, it just brought back all those memories of seeing the original and, and, um, I don't care if the gasoline wouldn't work in the truck. <laughs> oh, I thought boy. it was great yeah, well, that, the, you know, it was just, well, it was that nostalgia. Like to me, that's where the film knew how to make itself. Like it knew when to hit the nostalgia button. And for me, that that stuff worked because I was again back at being like 12 seeing the movie. Um, and you know, I, I really liked, um, the fact that you had like Mr. DNA show yeah, up just for a few seconds, you know, um, good. just those little touches like there that you could tell that the director was a huge fan of this, you know, series, you know, he's a huge fan of the original movie and that really came across. And to me, honestly, kind of gave me hope for fans making Star Wars now because hopefully they can take what we loved and pay it homage and do it well. We'll see. I'm still reserving judgment until I see, you know, The Force Awakens. But I, I liked what they did here and who knows where they go will go next. Um, the last question I had for you guys, this movie broke the bank. It had the highest opening of all time domestically with $209 million. and the highest grossing global opener of all time with over half a billion dollars in its first few days in theater. And as we're recording this, yesterday on Monday, had the highest non-holiday Monday ever, over $25 million. Why? What do you think is people are resonating with Jurassic World. Like what is it that's making it so big? Can you kind of, any of you put your finger on why you think people just seem to really love it? So when the original Jurassic Park came out, uh, I was like nine or 10 and I didn't get to see it until a few years after it came out. Um, But it's one of the first movies besides Die Hard that I remember seeing. Like, I remember seeing this movie, and I remember loving this movie. I remember being terrified and thrilled. And we're 20 years later, where people who are our age and loved that movie have kids who are the age we were when we loved that movie. And what better way to bond your family, to introduce your kids to something, than to take them to something that is so reminiscent of something you loved as a kid. Like, And not only that, it brings out that inner child in us. And we're like, I want to feel like I did when I was you know, 12 years old and I saw this movie and I was absolutely terrified and I loved every minute of it. And I think that's a huge draw. Like it's a huge, there were so many kids in the theater with us when we saw it with their families and the parents were probably way more excited than the kids. But I think part of the big draw was parents taking their kids and wanting their kids to have that experience that they had um, as a way to sort of build that family connection. I think that's a huge part of what made this such a success. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I actually totally agree with you. Um, I think I was seven or eight when this film first came out. And I remember, uh, as embarrassing as this, as this may be, um, my mom holding her hands above my eyes when the lawyer... <laughs> When the lawyer on the toilet was getting eaten by the T-Rex. And, yeah. um, I think this is Gennaro. <laughs> I think this is too. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I actually looked this up just the other, uh, just like a day or two ago. Um, Jurassic World is a 70 on Rotten Tomatoes and event, uh, Ultron is, is a 74. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Jurassic Park has the legs that 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 Avengers did. I'm not sure. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I don't. I don't have a prediction. I don't. I'm actually more interested to see what it is, uh, if it does or if it doesn't. Um, I I have a preference certainly for one over the other. But um, it's it. I'm not really sure why. Other than what you know, what she mentioned is it, it must be nostalgia. But it's it's so interesting because nostalgia has been a. Uh, driver in these things for a long time now. Um, it, it, I guess it's just now hitting the like the mid '90s kind of peak, where like all the millennials are like, "This is the best ever. This is the best thing that's ever existed." You know what I mean? Like when the you know when the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie comes out, who knows? Maybe that'll blow the lid off this. I don't know. Like what what it is specifically about this film that 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 captivates people but but it is only the first week so it'll be really interesting to see what happens next weekend i think uh, i don't really know even what comes out next weekend as competition though i guess that actually matters a lot uh, but. the new pixar movie comes oh, out oh yeah that's right inside out so, inside yeah, out comes which out. i'm very excited to see but i don't think that it's gonna do what this movie did um yeah no no well no but we'll see how much it takes from this movie that's really what uh i think i have the answer and it's Chris Pratt barrel rolls <laughs> is, is really what it was. When he barrel rolls under that gate, I mean, I was sold, you know? I mean, geez, he's he's taken what made Geordie Forge so amazing, and he's brought it to the big screen, and it was it was just fantastic. Um, you know, I think, Drea, that you're really on to something. I Thank think you. what makes Jurassic <laughs> World special is that we haven't really had a good Jurassic Park movie in... A very long time. And so what we all remember as being great was the original. I think a lot like Star Wars and I think a lot like Indiana Jones, there's something about Jurassic Park that just is kind of like film perfection for, you know, for us. You know, when you're talking about just those perfect popcorn films that are just fun, they, they just liven the imagination when you, especially when you saw them as a kid the first time, that make them the eaching of film. You know, it's the, that's that's it. I think Jurassic Park was one of those, and because we haven't really had an oversaturation of Jurassic Park movies, twenty years later they make one, and like you said, Drea, people are just taking their kids by droves. I mean, I haven't seen this many families together at a movie, and I don't know how long. You know, I mean, I really don't. I really don't remember when I've seen this many actual families. Like, you can tell it's a mom and a dad and three kids, you know, all of the movies together. That just does not happen that much anymore. You know, I go to tons of 
geek type movies, you know, whether it's, you know, The Hobbit or whatever. And I'm not seeing this many families in line. Um, and uh, I think that's what has made this such a success is people feel like they can take their kids to it and they want to share it the same way when episode one came out and all of those parents wanted to take their kids to experience Star Wars on the big screen. And I think it will definitely happen again with The Force Awakens. People want to have their kids have the same experience that they did. Um, And, you know, Star Wars is a little bit different even now because there's been a lot of Star Wars. You know, you've had the prequels, you've had Clone Wars, you've had, uh, you know, Star Wars Rebels. But these kids have been those kids where if you've only seen Star Wars on the small screen, <laughs> you know, for a whole generation That's... of kids who grew up seeing Star Wars this uh... way, then you've never seen Star Wars. And that's exactly what Jurassic Park was like. They brought out, you know, the 3D version a few years back for its anniversary. And I went and saw it because I had never seen it on the big screen. It was fantastic. But other than that, you know, people just haven't seen, you know, they haven't gotten to show their kids Jurassic Park and, I think it's been a long time since we've had just a, a blockbuster movie that hit most of the right buttons for people, you know? Um, and it feels like it it, it it feels like a Spielbergian type of film in that way. Um more even more so than, you know, uh JJ Abrams homage uh Super Eight. It it, it even feels more Spielbergian than that. It has that same kind of that intangible magic that his films had, you know, uh, for in a lot of places, um, it doesn't have all of his trappings. It's not him as is a director, and um, but I think it, there's just something about it that's driving people wild. And apparently, you know, uh, we're gonna now get more Jurassic Park films. So um, you hit the yeah. they hit the trifecta. They got the nostalgia. They got Chris Pratt and they got dinosaurs. I mean, honestly, yeah. when you sum it up like that, who doesn't want to see that movie? Yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know. Um, for you guys, how would you rate uh, Jurassic World? Out of 10? You can, uh, Drea, you're you're new here, so you can pick the rating scale. How far you, you can do it out of five, whatever you want to do. Hmm. Let's do it out of seven. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, I would say probably a five out of seven. It's a solid movie. I'd see it again, but it's not quite to that greatness that I wanted it to. And maybe if they come out with sequels, maybe it will solidify its stance. Like you need this one for the next one or something, but I'm going to give it a five. What about you, Daniel? Uh, without getting too far on a tangent, um, I'm going to give it a dark Knight rises out of uh, a Batman film. Uh, and I'll clarify that by saying uh, The Dark Knight Rises, to me, not a, not a great film, uh, but it is kind of essential in that kind of storyline. And uh, you, oh, that's interesting. You, you get a continuation of the story that you want to see more of. Maybe you don't want to see exactly how they, the direction they went. Um, but it is at least you get to exist in that world still. And at least you get to play with those characters still. And at least you get to do all of those things. Uh, it, it is ultimately to me, um, and I know that I'm in the minority. Obviously, we just talked about how massively successful this film is. Uh, to me, a disappointment. But um, 
it's not like Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull where it's like unwatchable. Um, you just keep <laughs> mentioning movies that I actually like. So, I mean, like for me, <laughs> The Dark Knight Rises is, I think, the best of those movies. <laughs> and I actually really like The Crystal Skull. It's not perfect, but I don't hate it. I love it much more than The Temple of Doom, but that's for a whole nother Oh, discussion. boy. That actually um, don't get me started. conversation. But, yeah, okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Um but it is um it is what it is it's not bad it's not terrible um if you want to go and have fun and you know what you're getting into it's just a story it's just what they're doing now with this with these characters and with this world it's fine it's it, it's fine um i didn't i didn't regret buying the ticket but i certainly would not have bought a second ticket for this film i guess as much as rating goes it's one out of x amount of tickets i would buy one ticket to see this film and no more well for me i am really glad that i went and saw it a second time because you know anytime i go to see a movie of this caliber where i have such history with you know the the series it's always really hard when you see the movie the first time to me you know because you're so wrapped up in everything that's happening and you're kind of being critical um it's kind of like I, i went to seminary so anytime i go to church i can get into my like seminary mode and i can judge the sermon in that mode uh and that's kind of how i am with films that i love you know in a series that i love like you can get into that mode where you're real judgy and you're trying to like you know uh, where is this going and all that so for me seeing it the second time actually solidified that i i think that this is a really fun movie i think it's a good movie um it's not an awesome movie but it's i would say between a good and a great to me like uh especially when you consider the type of film that Jurassic Park was originally. It's a great popcorn movie with some great themes that make you think. And for me, that's what I love when a movie that seemingly could be a throwaway has me coming away thinking all sorts of, uh, you know, important things about the world I live in and, and all of that. So going on Drea's scale, I would give this, I'm going to give this a six out of seven. Um, it, it it had some things that I think it could have done better with explaining some of those things we talked about with the logic of, of some of the companies and, and, and understanding some of that stuff a little bit more. I think that would have been helpful. I think that this is another one of those movies too. Like it's meant to be seen on the big screen. You know, like this is the type of movie like Star Wars or, you know, Indiana Jones, the Jurassic Park. These movies are just made to be experienced in a theater with a lot of people. So go buy a ticket. Have a great time. Um, because what I loved is, you know, finished it the second time and we were in the big IMAX screen that time and all the kids were like cheering at the end, you know, and like parents were too. And I just love going to a movie where people want to cheer at the end, you know, and it doesn't happen a ton these days and I definitely think it's worth seeing. But talking about Jurassic World is not the only thing that we have been talking about here on Trek FM the past week. So here is a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. So I just stopped, watched it, and just cried like a child, and then did it again and kind of brought up 
like what I was thinking while I was tweeting it. But that first time through, uh, it was such an an emotional impact. I I was wrecked. Earl Grey. You know what the dressing up and what the the clubs and the meetings and the podcast. You know, all really comes down to is just finding and talking and being around other people who enjoy something that you really enjoy. The Orb. This year, opening for five year mission is. Del Rock. Del Rock. Del Rock. They'll rock your world. Bajoran style. <laughs> rock your world. Bajoran style. I hope everybody's got their earring on tonight. <laughs> the ready room. I do like that he just drops out of the sky naked. That is the perfect way to introduce Q. And then I love, just before we cut to the credits, they get this great shot of him looking up at Picard, and he's like, hey, what up? (laughs) A little flirty. I love it. (laughs) To the journey! My question is, what would Janeway have in place of banana pancakes? Because that's Bolana's thing. Would Janeway's be coffee ice cream? I was just about to say coffee ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) my, My lips... My lips were forming the syllables to say coffee ice cream. <laughs> Warp 5. I was struck by watching Broken Bow, the fact that it was front and center in the very first episode. Because I remember going back, I remember watching Broken Bow when Enterprise first debuted when I was in high school. And I remember revisiting it now in full um, when I first watched Enterprise in my f- comprehensive rewatch. And I had forgotten the fact that Future Guy had actually played an integral role from the get-go with Silic and the Sulaban, which we'll talk about later in the show. Commentary, Trek stars. I know that both of us will come out of it okay, but <laughs> since Matthew is not used to sparring with either of us, I'm afraid that he's going to be a bloody mess lying on the floor of the 602 Club. The 602 Club. And this whole time, it's really, I feel like it's these people, they're playing God with fossilized mosquitoes. As if, you know, they have the right to do this, like they have the knowledge to do this, um, you know, that they can control a, a, any kind of species that they have absolutely no knowledge of. Literary treks. Yeah, this happened to her at 22 when she was on Ryan's Hope and it was at its peak. It was a very popular soap opera at the time. And truth be told, I've not seen tons of Ryan's Hope. Soap operas just aren't my thing. But there were some very... There, it had a big following. And it was not your yeah, typical did. run-of-the-mill soap opera either. I mean, Claire Levine, the writer of the show, was doing some very different things. Axonar, the official podcast. There is more to life than just get up, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed, repeat until dead. There's more to life than that. And I I believe that uh, that's the essential magic of Star Trek is that it says it it appeals to that, that urge to get up off the couch, walk out the front door and go see what's out there. And introducing the newest addition to the network, Women at Warp. Iman is fabulous, and I quite like Martia. Yeah, me too. She's a fun character. Yep. Also, you think Kirk would be happier about kissing himself. <laughs> right? It was his lifelong ambition. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I f- more feel like it's his lifelong ambition to kiss Spock, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows. Find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe 
and beyond even Jurassic World. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast, guys. You know if you're an Apple user, uh, there's some amazing things that you can do simply to help us out. You can hit that subscribe button. Uh, that helps us rise in the iTunes rankings, makes the show more visible, as do star ratings and the reviews. So I'd love to hear from you guys and what you think of the show that way. Um, it really helps us out. I appreciate that. If you're not an Apple user, don't worry. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from the website. Grab the RSS link as well. And feel free, go rate and review on all those places. You can share them on your social media and stuff like that. Let people know that you like the show. Um, And as we talked at the beginning, another way that is really important to kind of help keep all of the shows coming to you is patreon we're a listener supported network and without you guys without the listeners this doesn't happen we we just can't afford to keep all of this going without you i appreciate every one of you for supporting us it's it's amazing that you guys take your time and your money to do that um, you can go to patreon.com slash trek fm just kind of look at all the things we're trying to reach milestone wise um, there's some great perks that come and we are working on some amazing things for patreon members i wish i could tell you um, but then the management team here at Trek FM would kill me. So check everything out at patreon.com slash Trek FM. I want to say a special thanks to Ken Tripp for being my associate producer on the 602 Club. That's one of the things you can do on Patreon is be an associate producer for a show. And I just love this guy. I really appreciate him for that. And if you would love to contact us, guys, I would love to hear from you about any of the Jurassic Park series. Just go to trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail. We'd love to have a voicemail from you guys. Look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. Go to Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook, facebook.com slash trek.fm, and then, of course, the Babel Conference. It's really the best place to have a discussion about anything we're talking about here on trek.fm. You can search Babel in the Facebook search field, or you can just make it easy on yourself. Go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Well, Drea, I am so excited that you joined us here on the 602 Club. I hope that you'll feel free to come back anytime and have a drink with us and talk about anything that we'll be talking about in the future. Um, Tell everybody where they can find you online and then, of course, about uh, what you're doing for Educating Geeks. Absolutely. It was so much fun today. talking with you guys um so my twitter handle is pcf chick uh you can feel free to contact me there um but i am the associate producer for educating geeks which is a podcast where uh friends help friends discover new passions so we pick a new topic and we educate a either host or a guest host um on that topic uh we recently recorded a bunch of um podcast at phoenix comic-con um here in arizona so we'll have a couple of those coming out um coming up in july um and you can get those on all your usual podcast uh places itunes stitcher soundcloud um or they're all available on our website at educatinggeeks.com so look forward to those and we look forward to hearing from all of you Awesome. Well, Daniel, tell everybody where they find you online and, of course, what you're uh, doing for the network these days. Yeah, of course. They can find me on our on Trek FM's dedicated TNG show with my co-hosts, Darren and Philip. And I will say that uh, I will give Educating Geeks the official Earl Grey stamp of approval. I, I've, I've been listening to them since their first episode. I, 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 love, I love the girls and the guys that show up on that uh, podcast. They're great. 
And uh, seriously, give them a listen. Uh, one of the highest rated podcasts I can think of outside of, uh, of Trek of M here. Super awesome. So um, they can find me there and they can also find me on Twitter. Uh, I am uh, at one up Dan and that is the number one, not the word. Well, guys, uh, I want to echo what Daniel said. I have loved the relationship that Trek FM has kind of cultivated with Educating Geeks and the ladies there. All of you have been fantastic, and definitely go check out their shows. It's a lot of fun. If you enjoy the format that we have here, it's kind of the same on on Educating Geeks. And uh, they do some things that we don't do, like drinking games and fun stuff like that. So you got to check them out. It's it's a blast. Um, And, of course... You can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones. We talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. And then, of course, I'm on Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And we just realized the other day, it is actually the only place where you're getting licensed new Star Trek material. We talk about the books and the comics, both licensed by CBS. Is, is that? And yeah, they might not be Is canon, that the new pitch? But you know what? <laughs> Love it. Is, they are the only place that you can get new Star Trek. Is that Trek. true? We're the because, only place. Um, Star Trek Online, I would argue, it's also licensed and new Star Trek as well. So, yes, but it's the only place on Trek FM that's talking very about fair, very new fair. Star Trek. <laughs> exactly. So it's a great. Right, it, it's so much awesome fun. Yeah. That's right. Well, and it's it's a lot of fun because we get to interview authors and stuff like that, which is a blast. And so, yeah, join us there and. You can also find me on my own personal blog. I do movie reviews and all sorts of other stuff at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, visiting the park with us, and y'all come back now, you hear? 